Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes. This is episode 128 on the video cast, 118 on the podcast for the week ending March 31st, 2022. Uh, welcome to the end of quarter. You saw what rebalancing looks like today into the close. Looks like a pretty weak close. I wouldn't make too much of that uh, choppy Q1 it was. I love how we're set up for Q2. I think it's going to be one of the best ever. And we're going to go into some reasons why in this videocast podcast. So I uh, want to say got some good feedback. By and large, overwhelmingly, people love the ask me anything questions. There were a few people that uh, didn't like it quite as much and suggested uh, that the questions be put at the end of the video cast podcast because they you know we've been just getting more and more and more and this way the people that just tune in for my commentary uh you know can listen for the first whatever it is 45 60 minutes and if they don't want to hear the questions and answers the ask me anything they can just tune out and if they do learn a ton from it which i do think there's a lot uh, a lot of great lessons in those they can stay uh as long as it goes so uh, i think that's a good compromise and i appreciate all the feedback this week uh, so we'll kick it off with the media real quick. I uh, want to thank Ellie Terrett, Lauren Simonetti, and Liz Clayman for having me on the Clayman Countdown last Friday. We'll go into that in the article of the week. I uh, want to thank uh, Allie, Allie Thompson, uh, Jovan Collins, and Alicia Nieves for having me on Cheddar on Monday morning to talk about inflation, to talk about the peak in oil, which happened to be timely. Uh, so a lot of good things there. And I want to thank uh, Bansari Kamdar and Amruta Kandakar for including me in their article on Reuters this week. Uh, this was, I was talking about, you know, expect some choppiness into quarter end with uh, end of quarter rebalancing and uh, the market's needing to consolidate some of the gains, digest the, the inversion of the potential inversion of the 210 spread, and uh, the possibility of a ne negotiated settlement moving forward, which doesn't look like it today, but tomorrow's always a new day. Uh, quote of the week for, from uh, Benjamin Graham, the intelligent investor is a realist who sells to optimists and buys from pessimists. So if you followed this in recent weeks, you were selling the energy that you bought in 2020 uh, and, uh, and some of the banks earlier on in the year, and, uh, and then you're buying from the pessimists. Well, that means you were buying uh, Chinese stocks and you were buying biotech. So, uh, so we'll talk some, some uh, about that. This article by Sam Rowe, uh, he used to be at Yahoo. I think he's at Axios now and he has his own thing here called TKER by Sam Rowe, TKER.co. He wrote one of the most important articles I think you'll ever read on the stock market uh, earlier this week. And, I've, I, and I know this stuff. I, I've seen Peter Lynch's uh, speech where this came from, uh, but it was just phenomenal. So he lays out uh, Peter Lynch, legendary stock picker who ran Fidelity, market-beating Magellan Fund for 13 years, made a prescient observation he gave to the National Press Club back on October 7, 1994. It comes around the 38-minute mark of the video. He said, some event will come out of left field and the market will go down or the market will go up. Volatility will occur. Markets will continue to have these ups and downs. Basic corporate profits have grown about 8% per year historically. 
So corporate profits double about every nine years. The rule is 72. Uh, 72 divided by 8 equals nine years. And the stock market ought to double about every nine years. So I think the market is about 3,800 today or 3,700. I'm pretty convinced the next 3,800 points will be up. It won't be down. The next 500 points, the next 600 points, I don't know which way they'll go. So the market ought to double in the next eight or nine years. They'll double again in eight or nine years after that because profit goes up, profits go up 8% a year and stocks will follow. That's all there is to it. And really, that is all there is to it. The key is, uh, and by the way, that's exactly how you should be analyzing companies as well. You, that's why we like to buy durable long-term businesses that have a proven track record of earnings power so we can have a sense of how quickly do they compound capital? How quickly do they grow earnings over a cycle, over a trend? And you can take a reasonable estimation uh, plus uh, you know, multiple um, analysis, ranges of multiple analysis over time and see when things are trading cheap, see thing, when things are trading expensive and, um, and place, your, place your investments accordingly. So uh, you can go ahead and read this whole thing, but uh, it, it really nipped it in the bud. This is a great chart where it shows every single drawdown in the markets uh, since 1980. You can review that and just see how normal these, uh, you know, just average intra-year drops are 14% and annual returns were positive in 32 of 42 years. So these average drawdowns, we just had a 12% on the S&P, the average is 14%. Uh, profits go up 8% a year. You can use this exact same type of trend line for um, for an individual company. And that's all you need to know. And that's what gets the noise out of your head when everyone's panic selling and forced liquidations and earnings are keep going up. The stock will catch up to earnings over time. That's just the way it works. Uh, moving right along, this is how Boeing 737 MAX will be flying in China. Um, investors are still waiting for the 737. This is from Al Root at um, Barron's. Waiting for the 737 MAX to return to commercial service in China, the last significant geography left to resume passenger carrying MAX flights. A line from an annual report filed Wednesday gives investors important hint of how resumption might finally happen in the country. Came from China's Southern Airlines, ZNH. The company said it plans to add 39 Boeing 737 MAX to its fleet in 2022 and 103 by the end of 2024. That's it, that's the update. Uh, and analyst Jeffrey, Jeffrey's analyst Sheila uh, Kahiglu pointed out in a report Wednesday that, the, that China's Southern's expected MAX deliveries uh, are actually down from a year ago when the airline expected to take 48 MAXs in 2022 and 123 over the three period ending 2023. But it really doesn't matter. The key is that they're obviously you know, wired in with the government. The key is that they're taking some. Once that recertification goes through, I, I kind of surprised how off the Boeing CEO was about the timing because it was supposed to happen before the end of last year. Nonetheless, uh, it will happen. And this was the signal from uh, uh, China Southern Airlines, which has been using their planes for, you know, since 2009. Um, this came from Paul Smith, who's an avid uh, listener and viewer of the video cast each week. And he posted... Uh, uh, this, uh, Tom, here we go again on Twitter, uh, ASL orders up, uh, to 20 additional 737, 800 Boeing converted fighters to drive environmental sustainability. 
Uh, Boeing says agreement is for 10 firm orders and 10 purchase rights. Second was another one. Uh, China Southern plans to take 103 Boeing Max deliveries through 2024. China Southern to take 39 Boeing Max deliveries this year. So they're intending, they, their intent and their business plan is that the Chinese government is going to recertify it and probably in relatively short order. Um, so let's move on. Uh, the big change this week was Russia says Dunbass is Ukraine focus in possible shift in aim. So they didn't get to any negotiated settlement this week, but it narrowed it down. You know, Russia, like I said, neither of them have an edge or they wouldn't be talking. They would just be taking. So they've kind of narrowed it down to the Russia separatist regions, which we've talked about for the last three weeks. This is what likely what would happen. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, Putin, Putin will get some sliver of areas that are already don't consider themselves Ukrainian. He'll go back, throw a parade, declare victory and recalculate in his mind how he so badly miscalculated um, what would happen when he went in. Uh, but nonetheless, that's how it plays out. And that will be a positive for the market. Will it be in days, weeks or months? We don't know. We take the under. We think it's going to be sooner rather than later. Uh, Biogen files the final design for Adulem's post-approval study. This is regarding the uh, Alzheimer's drug. So this is just another step in the process, but it's worth noting because we're seeing more and more positive things come out on biotech, which had been left for dead, uh, one of our top two positions with BABA. And um, BioNTech's top earnings estimates uh, plans to do a buyback and a special dividend. They all have tons of cash on their balance sheet. As we stated uh, weeks ago, there are over 100 companies trading at a discount to the cash. No credit for intellectual property, no credit for R&D, no credit for sales. Uh, uh, and, and it's just an overshoot of extremes like we see in you know, all different sectors at all different times. So, uh, and we take advantage of it and we sell to the optimists and buy from the pessimists. That's, that's the key theme here. And it's nice to see that stuff. So today the big headline was, uh, excuse me, no, this is different. Uh, Biden's budget calls for an increase in defense spending. And also uh, the war in Europe is, how the war is reshaping how Europe spends. Military spending is rising across the continent. There is a long-term peak to trough defense spending cycle it's now in its trough, it's gonna tick up. Even if this is resolved tomorrow, you're gonna to see a massive amount of uh, defense spending ac across the world, which is why we've been so focused on defense stocks for an, uh, quite a number of months. Uh, we've been talking about them and we added another one, uh, European base, because we've been looking for European stocks. Uh, I'll even narrow it down a little bit more. We we're, we're almost at our full size position, but, uh, uh, it's not going to be anything like uh, um, Baba or uh, or uh, or biotech, but it is a serious position around four percent right now. It's uh, defense and commercial aerospace based in in Europe, uh, and uh, and we're pretty excited about that one. So um, we, you know we we've covered quite a few. Boeing will benefit. Uh, Lockheed, you know. We, that that is stuff we started covering last last September, but uh, we think that trend is just beginning. Um, Disney, Bank of America bullish on Walt Disney's theme park recovery receives strong attendance for two years. I talked about Disney on the claim and countdown two weeks ago. I think that uh, this is going to continue. Uh, the big 
uh, everything reopening is going to continue. That, that's the bottom line. We're going to cover an airline, a European airline, in the Ask Me Anything questions at the end of the podcast video cast, and we'll, we'll uh, dig in a little bit more. <clears throat> the big news today was the announcement that the Biden administration is going to release about a million barrels a day for um, just until the election to get the price of oil down so they don't lose too many seats. Uh, it's, it's literally till the election. It's a six-month plan, uh, no coincidence. And um, uh, which a million barrels a day is, is a lot. And that's uh, going to be 180 million of, I think we've got 560 million in the strategic petroleum reserves. You know, not a great strategic uh, play to make in terms of national security in the midst of a, a war that could, you know, low probability but potentially escalate. Uh, not in love with that, but uh, it's one way to get it down. It's one way to put some leverage on OPEC. It's one way to um, uh, maybe give Russia a little bit less flex in what they're asking for. Um, and it's interesting because it was the last administration, if you remember, when energy prices were trading negative, uh, that the last administration filled up, filled up the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which was uh, underutilized and, um, and uh, had a lot of storage capacity, filled it up to the brim at low prices. And an example of buy low, sell high. Lo love that administration or hate it. Uh, they understood what it takes to get rich, which is buying when it's out of favor. And now, uh, in the case of uh, Biden, he'll be selling when it is when it's in favor. So kudos to him. You know, maybe our government got it right. You know, they they they're uh, they bottom ticked and now they're top ticking. You know, maybe they should start a hedge fund together. The uh, Trump Biden capital. Uh, Trump will do all the buy orders and Biden can do all the sell orders. That would be something. So. Uh, uh, it's amazing how commerce brings people together all, from all around the world, regardless of ideology. Uh, nonetheless, uh, Biden sets a million barrel a day. Okay, so um, the key thing here also I wanted to mention, um, they're making this point that uh, Jen Psaki has faulted oil producers for sitting on 9,000 approved but unused lease uh, permits on leased federal lands. The industry defense is not every tract is a viable drilling target and that other White House moves like canceling the Keystone XL pipeline have made executive investors worry about putting money at risk in any new project. And, you know, that, th this is a complete red herring, by the way, this, this idea that they have all the leases that they need. Because if you recall... Um, right here this is what they did on day one revoking the march 2019 permit for the keystone xl pipeline and number two which you can't even get this by the way you used to be able to get this on the same website uh, whitehouse.gov uh, it looked exactly like this now all they have is a button to a pdf so you can't uh, search by the text, and um, right here, this was uh, January 27th, oil and natural gas development on public lands and in offshore waters, to the extent consistent with applicable law, the Secretary of Interior shall pause new oil and natural gas leases on public lands or in offshore waters pending completion of a comprehensive review 
and reconsideration of federal oil and gas permitting and leasing practices in light of the Secretary of Interior's broad stewardship and responsibility over public lands, offshore waters, including potential climate and other impacts associated with oil and gas activities on public lands in offshore waters. So look, this is self-inflicted. If, if, the, if, the, if the oil companies have so many leases that they're not using, then wh why did you have to shut it down? Because if they've got so many that they're using, why would they apply for new ones? Because the ones they have are not um, productive areas. That's, that's really what it comes down to. So there was no need to shut it down if they had more than they needed to start with. And so it's a complete red herring. This is just a game for November. But nonetheless, leaving that aside, um, uh, as much as people say it's a short-term solution and um, it won't make much of a difference, it will make some difference because it's a, over a sustained period of time, which is six months. And if you remember, the rig count is up now some 170% off the pandemic lows. You add another six months to that, the rig count may be back up to uh, or nearing pre-pandemic levels. Um, and with, with, you know, it could be an interesting bridge. In some sense, this is uh, displacing the need for an Iran deal for at least another six months. Now, if you got this plus a resolution in a negotiated settlement in Russia, plus then an Iran deal on top of it, uh, you, could see, you could see oil drop to $65. I mean, pretty quick. And then you'd have, uh, on top of that, the rig count would be building because this stuff doesn't happen overnight. It's already in the works. Um, and, um, you know, you add some type of ESG um, hiatus, you know, where pensions and other companies say we will not pressure banks to stop lending to uh, fossil fuel industry. You know, this is a time of war or some type of emergency act and, and the supply would come back on. But this is the point that I'm making is um, this is all self-inflicted. Uh, as a matter of fact, this from Zero Head says Biden unveils response to Putin's price at the pump, big SDR release. And basically uh, what Goldman is saying is uh, this move to reduce the SPR to its lowest level in 40 years and lower its all time levels in days of supply. They're basically saying It won't really help things structurally, but I, I, I disagree. I think that six-month window uh, will give enough time for production to get up. And, and if they back off with these type of regulations, we could have all the regulation that we want, uh, all, of the, uh, all of the production that we want, be energy independent and be beholden not, neither to OPEC nor to Russia or OPEC plus uh, and uh, just flourish as, as we were doing uh, previously. So, uh, you know, out of every crisis comes opportunity, hopefully they'll, they'll use it in the right way. Uh, moving on to China. So the uh, China factories uh, have set up bubbles to ride out the COVID lockdown. So as much as the Shanghai lockdowns um, of 25 million people in shifts, they're not doing it all at once because they want to keep the economy going because they've got to juice it ahead of the China National Congress. Um, uh, they are do, you know, putting the factories in bubbles so they don't affect the supply chain. And so far, it seems to be working out well. There don't seem to be as many supply chain disruptions as in previous lockdowns. So that's a positive thing. 
this shows the Hang Seng's forward price to earnings ratio. This is from uh, S&P Global Market Intelligence via Wall Street Journal article. And they're talking about China's, uh, China tech stocks are back, their glory days aren't. Well, th that, again, just like drilling wells, it doesn't happen overnight. They had a heart attack last summer with the crackdown. Now they're getting off the table, they're going home in their wheelchair, and sooner, sooner rather than later, they'll be up and walking once again. Uh, but they say the key turning point was a supportive message from a meeting of policymakers chaired by China's economic czar Li, Liu He. Um, this is a signal that policymakers probably don't want to see the market go lower. So that's absolutely right. The uh, CCP put is in place. We know the strike price. Uh, and given um, uh, Okay, uh, they don't want to see the market go lower. Definitely not in the stomach-churning fashion that preceded the abrupt turnaround. Economic stability is a policy priority in 2022. Given that, this is what we've been talking about, President Xi Jinping will likely seek a precedent-breaking third term as the Communist Party's head this fall. It helps that Chinese stocks are already trading at historically cheap levels. China's Hang Seng Index is trading at 8.6 times forward earnings. Okay, compared with a 10-year average of 10.3 times, according to S&P Global Market Intelligence. Uh, Alibaba's increased its buyback program. Xiaomi is going to do the same, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, markets probably found a bottom in the near term. Returning the glory days is a different matter. We'll, we'll see. But uh, you can see basically at all of these levels, uh, this is even lower than the 2008 crackdown. Then you had the 2016 crackdown was the same uh, time that was also with the uh, oil collapse crisis, if you remember, and the high yield crisis because of all the high yield debt was in effectively oil companies. So these are levels where if you bought, you were a huge winner, and this time will be no different. And this is uh, very consistent with that price to book chart that we put out uh, multiple times in the last month or so, talking about the violent rallies that come in the 12 months following uh, Hang Seng trading at a discount to book, which it did during this spike down, and it's just started to retake that, and we would uh, revisit lightning up when it's trading at two or three times book, uh, or in the case of uh, this metric, forward PE, uh, you know, 12 times is where we start to feel the froth and and probably 13 or 14 is where we're dumping everything uh, so it just gives you some benchmarks it's not only knowing where you're getting in it's knowing where you're getting out and it's knowing where to you'll be selling to the optimists okay uh, Xi battles distrust by global investors burned in China before Capital flight intensifies amid concern over Russia ties. Beijing is seeking to stabilize the economy amid COVID outbreaks. So he's got massive self-inflicted headwinds at the exact wrong time. And what this is going to cause them to do is um, they're going to dramatically overshoot on the stimulus. So they started in November. We started to see it in retail sales. They got this... Uh, uh, Omicron um, breakout like we had in January. They got it on a delayed basis. The difference is they have no real immunity because they've always had lockdowns. So it's going to be more pronounced, but they have licensed the Pfizer pill, the COVID pill that you take within three days. So once they get those out, they're probably going to alleviate, I would say by May or June, these uh, rolling type of lockdowns. 
then people will go about their business and they'll just have these generic pills from their local producer uh, that they can take once they get it and they'll just focus on massive testing. And once that happens and their business opens up full, t full tilt and their economy opens up full tilt, uh, plus you've got, uh, remember, everything happens on a lag basis. Um, um, what you get is uh, just an insane amount. They're going to be giving the patient an insane amount of medicine because they're just going to start to barely see the effect of what they started in November in, in March and April. Uh, so they're going to double down and double down to try to get the economy juiced by November. And by next year, you're going to see inflation out of control in China, uh, uh, likely, uh, you know, after they've juiced the market completely. So, but if you look at the outflows from onshore stocks, remember opinion follows trend. So the trend has been down. So everyone dumped at the bottom. You can see the outflows are uh, the uh, worst that they've been since the pandemic lows. Uh, and that was an unbelievable time to buy. You got one of your biggest rallies from the pandemic lows to the February 2021 highs. And we like uh, stepping in at those levels. And uh, we've talked about what we've done in that regard uh, during that week of uh, complete chaos, which was a week of complete opportunity. Out of chaos comes opportunity. Uh, that's probably one of the most important things you can learn in this business. Um, Okay, moving right along. Uh, this was a note. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll cover that. Okay, China pledges to stabilize economy and plan for uncertainty. Cabinet vows to support foreign investment in state bonds, acknowledges increasing downward pressure on domestic economy. Uh, cabinet vowed to stabilize the economy, called on officials to avoid measures that harm market expectations as the government struggles to control COVID outbreaks across the country, including the financial center of Shanghai. Uh, State council meeting on Wednesday with Premier Li Kong called the nation to prioritize stable growth and to draft contingency plans. Uh, according to the CCT, uh, China Central Television, um, the meeting pledged to stick to the goals set for this year, including reaching 5.5% growth, uh, even though downward pressure is increasing. So if they're sticking to that plan, pressure is increasing from the COVID outbreaks, they're going to have to double the, uh, the stimulus. There's no question about that. And the bank, central bank similarly vowed to provide more support to the economy in a separate statement issued after a quarterly meeting of its monetary policy committee. China Bank of... Uh, People's Bank of China reaffirmed it will step up the magnitude of monetary policy and make it more forward-looking, targeted, and autonomous, according to the statement pu published late Wednesday, which in with intensified headwinds to growth from local COVID outbreaks and policymakers sticking to full-year targets, we think the urgency for more policy support has increased, Goldman Sachs Group economist led by Maggie Wee said in a report. The economists expect more central bank easing step steps, including cuts to policy interest rates and the reserve requirement ratio. Uh, okay, policy transmission. PBOC also vowed to improve the transmission of monetary policy, which may be a response to a structural imbalances in credit growth over recent months. Uh, Goldman Economist said uh, short-term bill financing and loans have been growing faster than long-term loans, indicating sluggish credit demand and ineffective financing to support investment. Top financial leaders committed early this month to easing regulatory crackdowns, supporting property, and stimulating the economy through monetary policy. 
Uh, to expand investment, the cabinet also called for better and faster use of special bonds and pledged to support foreign investment in government bonds. And uh, da, 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 da. and that's that. Uh, Shanghai offers 140 billion yuan lifeline in tax rebates, rent res rent exemptions, and financial subsidies to help businesses survive the phased lockdown. This is about 25 billion U.S. So Shanghai authorities offered 100 billion yuan in uh, tax rebates range of fees, exempted certain designated companies from paying rent for three months, instructed banks to offer low interest bridging loans to help companies whose businesses were hurt by the city's lockdown. Uh, it's about $22 billion, not $25 billion. My bad. Round math in, in my head. Um, And that's the story there. So they're pumping stimulus in. Um, the other thing that's also got them hugely, the reason they, the other reason they did an about face, besides the fact that opinion follows trend and they panicked when price got down that low, is that um, uh, the week before that about face in government policy, uh, Tencent, Alibaba uh, announced that they were cutting about 20% of their workforce. That's generally good for the stock. It's generally terrible for the government. Um, and uh, that's going to you know, help their margins. And they're going to come back as growth resumes with all the stimulus that's in the pipeline right now. And it's going to start to be felt in coming months. Um, they're going to be doing so in a much leaner uh, operation. So that's all going to fall to the bottom line. And you're going to see profits start to beat expectations in a major way because they have less overhead and uh, they're getting all the benefits of that stimulus. So uh, the government's hand was forced. And I said that when they did the, the uh, education lockdowns that they were gonna have another Tiananmen Square if they weren't careful, that was 300,000 jobs. Now, five, six months later, lagged effect of really, un, uh, I would say, uh, not well thought out decisions is uh, their major companies starting to, to lay off in, in large size. I think Baba's was like 39,000 people, 10 cent, probably somewhere in the same neighborhood. Uh, and, and that's a big deal. You know, these, these, um, the government now has to figure out what to do with these people and going into a government transition, that's not a positive thing. So um, expect more and more and more stimulus to get these people back to work. Uh, here's an article from Matt Booker at Bloomberg. And he's basically just saying, uh, on a range of measures, the MSCI China is close to its weakest relative to the MSCI All Country World Index in five years or more. By price to book ratio, the Chinese gauge is at its cheapest compared to the global measure in more than two decades. Um, and this shows, so you can just see the last crackdowns. This was 08, then you had 15 and 16. And invariably, they always recover because the government gets to a point of pain. They get a level of unemployment that's uncomfortable and their power starts to be at risk and they start to get lots of dissent and uh, uh, dissatisfied people. And sure enough, they step on the gas and they turn it around and they turn it out around relatively quickly. So uh, from the time they decide, which was just, what, a week and a half ago. Uh, this is everyone panicking at the exact wrong time. This shows outflows. 
uh, worst outflow since the pandemic lows, which was a once in a hundred year event. Uh, and then uh, the last time was at the last crackdown in 18 and 19. And we know what happened next. So that, that was right before one of the biggest rallies uh, up to February of 2021. So um, history doesn't rhyme, but it just keeps repeating. And we try to take advantage of it the best we can. Uh, China PBOC vows to boost confidence, support the economy. Um, this is just more of easing. So uh, affirmed it will step up the magnitude of monetary policy. Uh, okay. Same article, different author. And then this is from the guy who runs the KWeb China Internet ETF. Uh, it's called ChinaLastNight.com. In the midst of chaos, there's also opportunity, Sun Tzu, the art of war. Uh, and th this is where he's talking about the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act. And he makes an important distinction. Um, the Tuesday night, Senate passed the uh, HR 4521. Uh, unlike the House's version of the bill, the Senate's version did not include language shortening the holding company foreign, holding foreign companies accountable act delisting window from three years to two years. Uh, he searched the 2300 page bill for related terms and found none. Since the house version includes an accelerated delisting, I'm being told by our DC policy research firm that there will be a negotiation on the disparities between the bills. It is interesting that the language was left out as one could speculate it was dropped intentionally so as not to disrupt ongoing negotiations between the US and China regulators, shortening the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act window from three years to two years would be highly problematic and an unmitigated disaster for US custodians and broker dealers that do not allow or are not set up for ADR conversion. Um, my assumption is that the cooler heads in the Senate removed the language so as not to throw a wrench into negotiations. Smart move. We'll continue to monitor the situation and provide updates. Yeah, I mean, this is getting beat to death. I mean, even today, Baidu was added to the list. They're all going to be added to the list. I mean, I, I don't know why this is like this is like Chinese water torture. Just put just put every Chinese ADR on the list. We all know that the delisting. We've had a year to prepare for it and get into Hong Kong shares uh, and. Um, um, but there's, you know, more from China this week saying that they found a way to do it. Basically, their way to do it is that, uh, yeah, so here's Baidu was the last one added to the list today. So that dragged the whole thing down. Like why these are surprises is, is beyond me, but it's also probably end of the month rebalancing for uh, funds that, uh, that, that got hit with it this, this, uh, this quarter. So um, there is... Um, there is talk of the Chinese government basically said they're willing to comply with the U.S. regulations as long as their regulators see the filings first because they don't want any personal information leaked. So they're, they're getting there. They're going to get it done. It's just going to be this, you know, on again, off again. And t but they're, the stocks are going to work themselves higher. And as I said two weeks ago, it will be in fits and starts. But you know, the intrinsic value is now going to be realized because they made the decision that the pain was over. They're, they're going to pull the knife out of their own heart uh, and, uh, and start to heal and recover. And that's exactly what's happening. Um, investor redemptions from China funds hit pandemic high. 
that was the exact wrong time to be redeeming last time because it preceded the largest rally, one of the largest rallies in history. Uh, that was when um, Alibaba hit $315. Um, and right before that, in the uh, nine months before that, in the middle of pandemic is when everyone was redeeming at the levels that they were recently redeeming at. Opinion follows trend, selling in the hole at the exact wrong time, more of the same thing. Um, Alibaba just increased its bet on an augmented reality glasses maker. The stock is rising. So they're doing a metaverse play. They're going to be in everything. I mean, they're just, you know, they're, they're part of the fang of China. There's just no way about it. There's going to be second largest economy in the world. There's a few companies that control the whole thing. And it's the exact same thing in the U.S. That's not going to change. Um, buyback authorizations moving on to the U.S. markets. Uh, get ready for $9 billion, $900 billion of stock purchases this year, says Goldman. Here's who's buying. Well, the number one thing which we've been talking about is the record buyback authorizations for 2022 when rates were low uh, during the pandemic and credit was abundant because it was backstopped by the Fed. Uh, companies uh, reliquified their balance sheets at very low cost and they're going to put that money to work. Uh, and you're seeing that right away. Uh, you know, all of these authorizations are going to start to be utilized and that's going to be the floor for the stock market. And like we were saying two weeks ago when hedge funds were selling at their highest rate since 2008 in the hole, uh, that a uh, few months out, we'd be looking at new highs. Everyone thought I was crazy. We're halfway there. So I think we're going to see uh, things start to, uh, to, to uh, continue in that direction. Uh, market bull Tony Dwyer says fears of recession driven by bond yields are overdone. Um, so he's talking about, so look, the most important part of the curve is the 210 spread, period, over and out. So now that the 210 spread inverted on an intraday basis by three basis points for two minutes, everyone's saying, well, the 210 spread really doesn't matter. It's the 310 spread, three month, 10 year spread. Uh, no, it's the five-year, 30-year spread. And now Tony Dwyer is saying, no, it's the three-month, five-year spread. In theory, what he's saying is kind of accurate because the average homeowner is like five to seven years and they get the money uh, you know, for free at the short end of the curve. So three-month, five-year does make sense. So he says, we don't look for a recession because of, the, because of that yield curve that's driving the lending is still very positive, the five-year, three-month. Um, Okay. Dwyer acknowledged the worth of the indicator, the 5 to 30 and the 2 to 10, but suggested the reaction could be overblown. I think the biggest fear that it's overstating at this point is that the 210 flattening or the 530 year, I understand why we use that and it's very useful at times, but he said the five year, three month yield actually shows positive picture because it's steepened, which typically signals expectations of stronger economic activity. Um, Okay, so Dwyer noted the yield curve is important because it reflects the difference between how much interest the lending institution pays on deposits, cost of capital, versus uh, how much it gets from lending or other investments. He said since February 2020, $4.75 trillion has been put into commercial bank deposits. By the way, it's been like $6 trillion printed and, and, and $3 trillion of that has not even been deployed in terms of total stimulus. So that's also kind of a backstop for the next 6 to 12 months for the economy is that extra $3 trillion that's, not, that's been approved that's not even yet uh, fully in the economy. 
Uh, and he said the average duration is about six and a half years. So we're using the three month and five year. Uh, okay, there's. Market seems to be almost pricing in a recession trade because the areas that should do the best with higher rates have been lagging and the areas that should do the worst, bank stocks, they're doing better. Uh, and I think that's reasonable, actually, that they're doing better because GDP growth is going to slow. It's, it's gone from 6%. We bought the cyclicals ahead of the 6%. Now we're going back down to 4% and then back to trend next year. Uh, and that's where some of these tech, uh, particularly biotech and China tech, are our favorites. Uh, are going to outperform in that slowing general environment, despite the fact that it's still above trend. Uh, next one, JP Morgan's Kalanovic sees three reasons for more stocks upside. If anything, there's too much negativity rather than too much complacency in markets. Kalanovic and his team wrote in a note to clients sticking with progress stance. They cite three reasons. Number one, both equity and credit markets have historically fared well at the start of monetary cycle, uh, t tightening cycles. We've covered that in recent weeks. Um, even as nominal bond yields rise, the average return, I believe, is 11% in the first 12 months after the first hike. Even as nominal bond yields and rates rise, the real policy rate is extremely negative and thus stimulative. It's too early to take inversion as a signal of recession risk. And finally, not all central banks are tightening as the Bank of Japan and People's Bank of China are moving in the opposite direction and equities look likely to see some support from fiscal stimulus in those countries. Not only fiscal, but monetary, and China's really stepping on the pedal. Uh, um, Bank of Japan stimulus is simply in the form of quantitative easing uh, because they're just buying every bond in sight to keep the 10-year yield below 25 basis points. Uh, in terms of China, they, they are aggressively architecting a uh, a recovery, you know, ahead of the China National Congress. And that's why each five years we see the MSCI China. It collapses in the 24 months before when they crack down and assert their, their regulatory authority to show that communists rule. And then they realize they overshoot and they juice the economy in the 12 months into the November meeting like clockwork. They do it every time and the same thing's going to happen and it's starting to happen this time. Uh, so you can fight that or you can join it, but that, that's what's happening. Um, the other thing is, um, JP Morgan is, is kind of disputing. So Bank of America has been negative and uh, Mike Wilson's been negative for six months of the rally, uh, over at Morgan Stanley. He said, JP Morgan saying to discount that economic indicators are so far beating expectations and that's too early to position for recession. We agree. If you look at the economic surprise index, it was at 54, I think it's most recent print, which was the second highest before that it was 60 uh, since before the pandemic. So, um, so that's, that's a good thing. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, in over a year rather. And these positive economic surprises are likely to translate into earnings surprises in the coming reporting season. We're seeing that with earnings estimates continue to go up while everyone's calling for a recession. Uh, in fact, with forecasts projecting a large sequential decline in uh, S&P 500 pro uh, profits, the hurdle for coming earnings reporting season, which kicks off in about two weeks, seems rather low. We agree and uh, always like, like to uh, listen to what Kalanovic has to say, as well as what Tom Lee over at Fundstrat has to say. Um, uh, and I like 
his take on this. It's it's definitely um, unconventional, but I, I I'm inclined to give it the benefit of the doubt in the short term. He, he's talking to three reasons why stocks can move higher in the face of an inverted yield curve. Um, so investors are treading carefully after the two year, 10 year, two year yield curve briefly inverted on Tuesday. Um, and here are his three reasons. Uh, first, while nominal interest rates inverted on Tuesday, real interest rates didn't. So he's mirroring what Kalanovic said in prior yield curve inversions like 2006 and 2019, both the nominal and real curve became inverted. Real interest rate curve is still in normal shape. Um, so uh, more, okay, and, and what he's pointing to, it has to do with the difference between nominal interest rates and real interest rates, which accounts for the current rate of inflation. So, um, and what he's saying is, it's because inflation remains elevated while the two 10-year yields are around two, while the two-year and 10-year treasury yields are around 2.4%, accounting for inflation rates, they're actually in negative territory. Second, backwardation of inflation curve implies that the market sees inflation as episodic, we agree, according to Lee, uh, which can be seen in leading indicators like the cash freight index, which we covered Tom Lee's post last week. Uh, uh, cash freight index, backup volumes at ports, and car inventories rolling over. So these are all positive and are pointing to an alleviation of inflation in the second half. Uh, we love Tom's work on that front. And the episodic waves of inflation have been driven by supply chain disruptions, revenge spending by consumers, on, and I would add on goods. Now the revenge spending is going to go to leisure, so that's going to take some pressure off goods. We've been saying that publicly for a number of weeks uh, as the economy opens. And now the ongoing invasion of Ukraine by Russia, which has led to a commodity price surge, again episodic. Finally, the real cost of 10-year money is still negative, which supports risk assets, quote, as real borrowing costs are essentially free, Lee said, and negative real interest rates can lead to an expansion of stock multiples, supporting a further leg higher in stocks. Um, the good news is that in 2022, we have not seen the severe tightening of financial conditions that presaged calamity in 2006 and 2019, and this shows... Uh, stocks returns are good when negative real rates, uh, realized rate and stock market performance. So uh, th th there you go. Uh, that was a good note. So uh, Bank of America says data shows that hedge fund continue to sell equities again in the hole. And that's very positive because now stocks are going to continue to climb the wall of worry uh, with the war with, uh, by the way, someone pointed to, I forget who said it, uh, Buffett made a comment in the past to never short the market during a time of war because there's a uh, level of production, et cetera, that's stimulative to the economy. It's, uh, there was another saying, you know, sell the rumor, buy the cannons and stuff like that. And we found that actually to be relatively true in this latest saga with Russia, Ukraine. Uh, speaking to the reopening trade, CDC lifts travel warning for the cruise industry uh, two years into the pandemic. Uh, this is just the beginning. The revenge travel trade is just getting started. BA2 or no BA2, people don't care. Uh, it's, it's on with their lives, and, and that's that. Um, okay, uh, this was from Mark Hulbert over at MarketWatch. And again, so now that the 210 inverted for five seconds, everyone's switching curves, and they're pointing to this article 
uh, oh, okay, he's pointing to a different article, which was from um, Arturo Estrella. He's at Ran RP at Rensselaer Polytech. Um, my junior B hockey coach played goalie for them. They've got good hockey up there. Uh, and then there was another one by the uh, San Francisco Fed that said the same thing. Basically, they look at the 10-year, three-month, which Jay Powell has alluded to. I really don't care what they look for. I, I care about what's worked in the past. But given that context, because the 10-year, three-month has steepened, so if you look at uh, before the pandemic, it inverted. Before the last recession, it inverted. Uh, during the tech wreck, before the tech wreck, it inverted. This time it's steepening. And that's the point that all these people are trying to make is that, you know, banks' cost is closer to three month than two year. Uh, and their loans are longer than five years. So the fact that this spread is so wide, credit will continue to flow. I'm, I'm open-minded to that for the next six to 12 months. And then I've got to see economic data continue to improve. If the economic data starts to uh, deteriorate, earnings estimates uh, and, and a multitude of under indica other indicators that we look for, uh, then we'll just take the 210 as a real inversion and we'll start to prepare for it, you know, six to 12 months down the road. We'll be selling into massive strength. Remember, some of the steepest parts of the rallies are after the yield curve inverts. Um, so, uh, but I'm open to the fact that this could be another 1994. Let's see what the, the, this 10-2 yield curve was doing in 1994. Yeah, that's the same thing. It also did not invert in 1994. Um, it was at the lowest it got was 17 basis points. It's now close to 2%. So maybe this is more like 1994. That's been our base case. We'll talk about it more in just a minute with the article of the week. Uh, but this is... Okay, so Hulbert's basically saying when the current spread between the 10-year the and three-month is this wide, the probability of a reception within the subsequent 12 months uh, is below 5%. So those are pretty good odds that there's no recession in the next 12 months. Um, on average, after the 210 inverts, it's you know, 16, 18 months out, you get a recession. So uh, I'm, I'm okay with this analysis for now because it's, it wouldn't change my positioning. Even if we closed, even if it wasn't just intraday, let's say we closed at negative five basis points and we got a real inversion on Tuesday uh, and then it restapened, it wouldn't change anything about my positioning for the next six to 12 to 18 months. Um, the question is going to be based on the economic data co coming in, uh, do I start to get defensive 12 months out, build cash, get into defensive stocks and start to put shorts on aggressively 
uh, or is this 1994 and we stay all in uh, aggressive because they've extended the cycle for another five years? And uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards the latter, but I'm open-minded now given the intraday inversion of the 210s. Now, on a closing basis, if you still look at this, um, let me just see if I can get today's close. Today's, no, it's not up yet. Um, on a closing basis, it hasn't inverted yet. Uh, and that was the same thing in 1994. What I was trying to do was get uh, information to see if the 210 spread actually inverted intraday on December 27th or December 28th of 1994, even though on a closing basis it didn't invert. And I've been scouring, I mean, uh, the Bloomberg terminal doesn't have intraday data going back that far. So I've been scouring newspaper articles. And the only thing that I found with regard to the newspaper articles was the fact that the 530 spread, uh, which we referenced in one of those articles, um, if you look here, this is from the New York Times, December 28, 1994. Uh, one sign of such development yesterday was the odd circumstance of the five-year treasury note carrying a higher interest rate than the 30-year bond, even though the longer-term bond should, in theory, carry more risk and a higher rate. Um, the... The yield on the five-year note was 7.78% yesterday, while the long bond fixed income markets benchmark carried a rate of 7.76. So it inverted intraday by two basis points uh, in 1994. That's the 530 spread, which we also did. Um, we also did that on Tuesday, but we didn't close inverted. Okay, so Tuesday, the 5.30 inverted, and actually it inverted in 1994, and we still extended the cycle another four or five years. So there's a lot of nuance here that we have to, you know, it would be so much simpler if the 210 spread would just close at negative 10. Then we know the countdown clock has started. Uh, but, uh, so there's a lot of nuance here. On a closing basis, the 5.30 has not inverted. On an intraday, it has and back in 1994, it did on a closing basis by two basis points for, you know, a day or two. Um, and the last time it did this was uh, 2006 before the great financial crisis. So it's not yet done it on a closing basis. So there's com some com conflicting things. If you look at the three-month, 10-year in isolation, you say that's very bullish and the cycle is going to go on for a while. If you look at the 210, you say, well, it hasn't inverted on a closing basis, so it hasn't really inverted. Uh, and therefore for you know all coast is clear it's 1994 we're going to extend another uh, five years and if you look at the 530 when you see on that it happened in 1994 it did that brief inversion and then reversed just like it did on tuesday and the cycle extended for another five years so there's some weight that's saying that you know that two or three basis points for two or three minutes may not be real but the fact that it happened means we have to respect it and we have to be a hawk on the data as the months roll forward. We should, irrespective of whether it was real or not, get uh, meaningful sized um, uh, upside in, in the next 12 to 18 months uh, either way. But then the question is, do we get another three years after that, like 95 to, 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 to 2000, which is my general instinct, or 
Do we take a hard breather and have a short, a shallow recession um, uh, before that next move up? And that would be indicated in data and estimates, and, um, and we'll, there'll be a lot more on that to follow. This was a Wall Street Journal article I pulled up from December 28th, uh, 1994 as well. And it said, for the first time in four years, the yield on the five-year Treasury notes exceeded that of the 30-year Treasuries. Um, uh, so it just acknowledges that. But it does not speak to the twos, whether the twos or tens inverted. If anyone can get me that answer uh, uh, documented as to the intraday prices of the 210 spread, um, for December 27th and December 28th, 1994, I will give you three months free of the trade service at hedgefundtips.com. It's worth 600 bucks. That's how important that information is to me. So if anyone can get it documented either in like a, a periodical uh, from that day, you know, so it would have been the 28th, it would have been the day after or the 29th, the day after the 28th, uh, or if you can somehow get the intraday data for the 210 spread, December 27th and December 28th, 1994, uh, you know, it's worth 600 bucks to me. So, um, and to you. So there, there you go. Um, it's actually worth a hell of a lot more than that, but that's what I'm willing to give you for it. Uh, um, okay, so to invert or not to invert, that is the key stock market question. For those of you on the podcast, you're gonna get cut off in three minutes. Go to hedgefundtips.com. And while you're there, click on terms. This is opinion, not advice. Um, um, and you'll find the video cast. Fast forward to minute 60 and you'll click play. You'll start word from word where you got cut off on the podcast at minute 60. So here's the article. On Tuesday, the 210 yield curve inverted by three basis points for a few minutes <clears throat> and closed with a positive spread of two basis points on the day. There are a number of factors that led to this incident, but one stands out from the crowd. Ordinarily, an inversion would be caused after multiple rate hikes with the two-year yield climbing along with the Fed funds rate as the Fed attempts to drain liquidity and cool an overheated economy. However, this temporary inversion was caused by an exogenous event, the Bank of Japan. No one's talking about this, by the way. This is important. Uh, and this may be another reason why the 10-year and the three-month is singing a whole different tune than the 10-year and the two-year. Uh, as pointed out by Tom Lee and others. So the BOJ intervened aggressively earlier this week to defend the 25 basis point yield cap by offering to, quote, buy an unlimited amount of government bonds for the first four days of this week. According to Reuters, you can click the article here, under pressure from a steady rise in yields, the Bank of Japan lost its defense by making two offers in a single day to purchase 10-year Japanese government bonds, JGBs, and unlimited amounts at 25 basis points yield. The central bank then said it would make the same unlimited offer for the next three days to make sure investors receive the message loud and clear, but some economists believe the central bank's grip on the yield curve control was at risk of slipping. Quote, markets may fo more forcefully test the BOJ's resolve to defend the 25 basis point ceiling, which may prove, may prompt the bank to modify its approach and allow the 10-year yield to rise more. I, I doubt it. Uh, that'll be a last resort. Bank of Japan's first offer for unlimited bond buying in the morning failed to prevent the JGB from hitting a six-year high of 25 basis points on Monday, the level the bank has set as an implicit cap around its yield target. Markets are putting the BOJ to the test, so the central bank has no choice but to keep offering unlimited bond buying, uh, said uh, Takufimi 
Yamawaki, head of Japan Fixed Income at uh, research at JP Morgan Securities. If yields are allowed to move above 25 basis points, investors will think the BOJ has tolerated a rise above that level. That makes it harder for the BOJ to carry on with yield curve control. Under yield curve control, the Bank of Japan pledges to guide the 10-year JGB yield around 0% as part of efforts to stimulate the economy by keeping borrowing costs low. So what does this have to do with our inversion? Well, in recent weeks,